3: It's Kayla. Candice isn't able to join us today, but we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. We're having a fascinating conversation today about women without kids. Today, I'm going to sit down with Ruby Warrington. She is an author and a podcaster. She has had 20 plus years of experience as a lifestyle journalist and editor. She is known as an astute cultural commentator and true thought leader and provoker. Her new book, Women Without Kids, is out in March, and it is truly one of the most fascinating reads I have had yet to date. I am so excited for our conversation with her. So without further ado... Here's my conversation with Ruby Warrington. And I am here with Ruby Warrington. Ruby, I am so happy that, that you're back on our podcast.
4: Thanks for having me. You're bye. such a
3: lovely guest. We love having you on. And this time to talk about something truly fascinating. Before you know, we started recording this, I just said to Ruby how... Moved I am by the book she wrote, and this conversation is one we have not had on the podcast. So let's just jump right in because there's so much, so many fascinating things we're going to discuss. I want to start with talking about how you write about being a woman and how it is so synonymous with being a mother and your entire life, you didn't have that maternal instinct. You just didn't want to have kids. And it really is as simple as that, except it's not. Because society expects that if you have a womb, you should want to have kids. You begin, I mean, I don't even want to say research because I feel like there's. it's so much deeper than that. I, I You investigate <laughs> this and through your findings, you started to ask the question, why don't I want to have Kids and it became why am I expected to have kids? It made you ask, what is woman if not mother? So much so that you felt like there was something biologically wrong with you. And you make so many valid points. One being that how come your desires are not equal to others? And I just want to start there because I mean, this is such an, a huge concept, but please, if you can start with us there that would be lovely
4: well it's interesting I mean I'll start here like you know when you're a kid everyone's like so what will you want to be when you grow up what do you want to be when you grow up and mother just was nowhere in my kind of like vision it it just wasn't even like on the map for me it just wasn't something that was present for me at all even from a very young age but of course at age five six years old that wasn't really questioned you know it just wasn't I never, I never really enjoyed playing with dolls. I didn't enjoy playing mom, that kind of thing. But it wasn't like, you know, a glaring, what's wrong with her? (laughs) And so it wasn't something I necessarily questioned in myself until I reached my kind of early twenties and people began to ask me, why don't you want to be a mom? And this is when that questioning really kind of like started to ramp up for me. Why don't I want to be a mom? Wait, hold on a second. This is something that every woman is supposed to feel a biological imperative to pursue with her life. This is supposed to be all about our hormones and like literally our biological makeup. And so for my beginning in my kind of like middle twenties, I got married when I was 27. So it kind of ramped up even more then because that was when other people's questions. So when are you going to start a family? Like that's when that really started. And so from my middle twenties throughout my thirties, I really just, yeah, I was, I was kind of torn up by this question of why don't I want to be a, a mother? Um, and all I could ever come up with honestly was just, I just don't, I didn't have any, uh, any much of a deeper reason for it than that. And that honestly, for me was enough. And partly because, you know, I grew up in a family where my parents didn't really put pressure on me to give them grandchildren. I also grew up in a culture where. I was very much encouraged to pursue a career and to pursue financial independence and to kind of want those things for myself as well. So I kind of, yeah, it was only, but it was only sort of approaching my early forties and sort of even looking ahead to menopause that I thought to myself, but wait a minute, why didn't I want to do that? You know, and what I, what I, what I'm happy to report is that I kind of reached that phase in my life, feeling absolutely zero regrets about not having had a child or tried to become a mother, you know? Um, And that was such a relief because the other thing I heard throughout that whole kind of questioning period was, well, you might not feel like it now, but if you don't have a child, you will regret it. At some point in your life, you will look back and you will regret it. And then the other one, of course, that people listening might be familiar with, nobody ever feels ready to have a child. It's never the right time. Just do it. You'll love it once you do it. And I always, I would hear that and just feel a kind of like, "Mm, mm, I don't know, that's kind of a big risk to take. That's kind of quite a big decision, actually. (laughs) Anyway, so I reached my early 40s and realized, wait, no regrets. There's not one part of my being that feels like I've missed out, that I should have done something different with my life. And I started to feel kind of angry that other people had had such strong opinions about what I should do with my life, let alone my physical body, you know? And so that was part of the impetus to write the book. And then other questions came out of actually sitting, sitting with myself and really properly attending to that question. But why didn't I want to be a mother? And that's when, I mean, I detailed the many, many very diverse factors that sort of have shaped women's lives and choices and decision-making, particularly as it pertains to our procreative potential over the course of the past century, truly, and uncovered, obviously, some quite deep and at times very painful truths within that as
3: well. It's a really hard book to read at times because it makes you, no, but I mean this, it's so important to read, but it is hard to read because it makes you think and realize things that we maybe sort of always knew, but once you see the actual words in front of you, and it's, you know, I think it would have been really, important for me to read this before I chose to have kids. I came to the consensus that I would still have chosen to have my kids, but I feel that I would have been better prepared. I really want to talk about the motherhood spectrum that you write about. If you could explain to our listeners what that is, because I think that would have been really nice to have in my head before I made all these decisions and and before I realized truly how much of my decision was already made for me because of society and how easily affected I am by it.
4: How easily affected we all are by it. We are all a product of our environment, right? And I think that so, the fact that so many women and particularly younger generations coming through are Openly questioning do I want to do this just shows how societal attitudes are shifting, but it shows how much of these this compulsion to become a mother, how much the, the woman womanhood being synonymous with motherhood has been very much a product of the society that we have been raised in and the systems that govern our society as well, you know? So the motherhood spectrum. Was actually born out of people might be familiar with my work with Sober Curious, which I spoke about the last time I came on the podcast, which was really kind of debunking this idea that you have kind of like normal drinkers and problem drinkers. And if you're a problem drinker, that means you're an alcoholic and you can never drink again. This very binary idea of like what it means to have an alcohol misuse disorder. And so I kind of took that thinking in a way because I was looking at the, the idea that actually there are probably as many different kinds of problem drinkers as there are drinkers, you know, we've, all of us, most of us, you know, at some point in our drinking lives experience some kind of problems as a result of our drinking. So I wanted to apply this kind of non-binary approach to the question of motherhood. Why was it we had people who were, an aff- I call an affirmative yes about becoming a mother. This is absolutely what I want for my life. This is part of the reason that I'm here. I definitely want to have a child. And then you might have the affirmative no's. Somebody like me who was like, I don't want to have a child. There are other things I want to do with my life. It's just a no. The affirmative no is being seen as an anomaly, quite unusual. Maybe there is something wrong with you. Perhaps you're just too damaged deep down, you know, to, to contemplate bringing a child into the world. And it sort of felt like, actually, no, if we zoom out, and like I said, look at all of the different, very real factors that influence women's lives from everything from our personality to our economic situation, to our relationship status, to the culture and the society that we were raised in, the cultural messaging. We've had the religious upbringing that we had, our spiritual beliefs, all of these different things, our physical uh, ability, you know, all of these things are obviously, quite obviously, it seemed to me, going to impact our feelings about becoming a parent, let alone our parental readiness, like our actual capacity to perform the very, very challenging lifelong role of care- parenting, right? And so the motherhood spectrum is an invitation to step out of that binary, what I call the mummy binary, and just be like, yeah, it's very natural to orient at different places on this, depending where we're coming from. And the fact I think we've never engaged with a concept like this before is that it's actually, honestly, only in about the past 50 years that a large percentage of women have had the option not to have children. It's only since the advent of effective and readily available birth control. It's only since the advent of safe and legal abortion that women have actually, tra- and third and final piece, sorry, very importantly, since women have had equal opportunities when it comes to education and having a career where we can actually create financial stability for ourselves and not be reliant on a partner typically a male partner in the kind of heteropatriarchal order of things to 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 take care of us on a material level it's only since women have had access to these things that we've actually truly had the option to pursue other paths to fulfillment to meaning to security and stability to belonging than motherhood. So it's actually a very, it's a relatively recent development for women that we've had this choice and this ability to question, do I want to be a mother? And so it's only relatively recently that a concept like the motherhood spectrum could even be relevant, right? But I also make the point that where we orient on the motherhood spectrum could change at different points in our lives. It, it, as, as with any kind of more fluid sort of orientation, I suppose, based on where we're at in our lives, we might feel differently about becoming a parent. Like for example, I met my husband when I was 23, 22 turning 23. So pretty young, right? And as much as I had always sort of, it wasn't that I knew I didn't want to be a mother, as much as I had never seen motherhood in my future, it's not something I aspired to or had planned for. Had he really wanted to be a father? And had he been, come from a really loving family where like I saw the benefit of like wanting to be part of that family and kind of like contribute, not contribute, but to kind of like continue on the family line. And maybe I would have felt differently. Maybe I would have, have, have wanted to have a child with him and to kind of like, and to pursue that path instead. Who knows? I, it's not for me to know. I can't know. It didn't work out that way. And like I said, I'm, I'm very relieved to have got to a stage in my life where it's highly unlikely that I will become pregnant or have a child and feel no regrets. Right. But what I'm saying is, yeah, had circumstances been different for me, perhaps I would have oriented somewhere else on the motherhood spectrum.
3: Well, and you talk about, you know, these, this moment you guys were in, I believe, was it Australia or something? And you guys, you know, had all of these lovely drinks and you were sitting outside and looking at each other so in love after having been married for years and looked at each other and said, let's just do it. Let's just do it. Kids are an adventure. Let's do it. It'll be so fun. And then in the morning, you both woke up and said, well, that was, definitely not (laughs) nope that was just the alcohol talking we're not going to do it and it was just so clear that you guys were aligned in the decision from the from the get-go you're just so honest
4: (laughs) I mean it was the alcohol talking but it was also that there's a lot of cultural conditioning around the joys of parenthood will always make up for the struggle
3: Mm. hey guys we're going to take a quick break we'll be right back in just a minute
4: And we're back. And I'm not trying to tell anybody with this book, hey, you shouldn't have kids or having not having kids is fantastic lifestyle choice, because it's not going to be like that for everybody, right? it's right for me. My goal really is to valorize the path of
3: non-motherhood, no matter how
4: a a person might find themselves here.
3: Right. And it's so good to hear that. I do want to touch just for a moment on those who have tried endlessly to have children and it just isn't, hasn't been in the cards yet. It may not be in their cards at all. And you talk about this in in the book, but we just want to say, you know, if you're listening, we see you, we acknowledge that and that this is in and of itself, its own Mm -hmm. tremendous animal. And it's fascinating because Ruby, when you started trying this book, you began with the huge goal of uniting all women without kids, no matter what their journey was to get there. And you realized quickly that it was no small feat.
4: Yes. (laughs) Well, this was the thing. And I think it's because my agent and my publisher and my editor were like, so who is the core audience for this book? And I was saying, well, women without kids. And then I realized, and I think this was from looking at my own peer group. Like I said, I kind of grew up or came up, came of age in my 20s, 30s, feeling like I was the only one. I was the only one who didn't want to have a child. I was so unusual and strange. And like I said, to the point that perhaps I'm missing something, like maybe something's just not firing in my system properly, because I've never felt this kind of baby fever that people spoke about. But then I got to around age 40 and I looked around and I knew a lot of women who didn't have kids. You know, a lot of my friends, a lot of my colleagues, when I look back to the younger generations and people in their thirties who I was friendly with and, and working with and connected to, a lot of people were questioning, do I want this for myself? And I realized I'm not the only one, but what I saw within that as well was that we all had our different reasons. I had always known that there were other, it wasn't, again, I'll keep repeating this. It wasn't that I didn't want to be a mother. It was, there were other things I wanted to do in my life. So much more. There were some things I felt so passionate about. And like, I so wanted to pursue a motherhood just wasn't one of those things. Right. (laughs) And so I set my set about pursuing those things, like being an author and having a life as a writer was like my number one priority. And here I am. And I'm so grateful that I get to do what I do. Right. But I saw that other people hadn't met a suitable co-parent or someone they felt like they wanted to co-parent with. I saw other people who were struggling financially to reconcile it financially. And of course, I saw other people who were having a terrible time experiencing infertility problems with their fertility or their partner was having fertility issues and feeling completely torn up by this this awfully traumatic experience sometimes of going through multiple rounds of IVF and just the emotional roller coaster that people found themselves on with that. So I realized that here we are Many of us having to reconcile living lives that go against this cultural norm that mothers, women are mothers, and that we actually all had different reasons. So I was kind of saying, well, yeah, the book is for anybody who's a woman without kids. But I also had to acknowledge that within that, there are so many different circumstances that people will find themselves grappling with. And to acknowledge that actually it's a huge privilege to know that I don't want to have children, you know, and to have had not 100% certainty because like i said i questioned it a lot based on other people questioning me but acknowledging that that is a privileged position actually to be able to decide i don't want to have a child when there are there are many people who are struggling and who would who would absolutely love to start a family if they met the right person or if they didn't have so much student debt or if they were able to get more support from their family network or if they weren't having issues with their fertility. So yeah, I'm very conscious throughout the book of acknowledging that wherever we are on the motherhood spectrum, it's probably for different reasons. And that what's necessary actually is just an acknowledgement of what is a really, what could, what is a really empowered and fantastic choice for me could be a real pain point for somebody else, you know? Um, and just to be really aware of that and conscious of that. Um, so, yeah, that's that was kind of where I landed, because at the same time, regardless of how we find ourselves here, our shared experience is one of being the outsider, the other,
3: the unusual sort of failure in some people's mm, eyes. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, it is so interesting because I mean, I was only a few pages into your book and you hadn't even addressed this yet, but I realized, oh, there is no term for someone who's not a mother. You kept and then you kept using the word non-mother and then you addressed it in the book how there's not an actual term for someone who it's just a lack of this a not mother and there is no it's just fascinating to me that there is nothing that is concrete there's no word that describes it and that's how ingrained it is in our society. You know, for those who are not sure if they want to be a mother yet and turned this episode on because this is something that they are grappling with. And they're hoping to find guidance towards making a decision of this magnitude because it truly is, I think, close to one of the biggest decisions you will ever make in your life. I know you have answers that they are questions they can answer in the book. Obviously, I've said this, but it would it would have made such a difference for me as I was making my decision to read this book. Can you tell us Any advice for them, and what you found in all of your numerous interviews and everything that you've done? I think probably the most important thing is to
4: talk about it. Don't try and make this decision on your own in your own head. I think whether you whether you have a therapist you can talk to about it, whether you just talk have some honest and open conversations. Like it was actually really helpful for me, even at this stage one of the the best, one of the most helpful conversations I had was with a friend who had experienced, you know, she'd gone through multiple rounds of IVF. I'd watched her over a period of about five or so years, just like torn apart emotionally by the whole experience and finally give birth to her beautiful twins and be so overjoyed to become a mother. And to even to ask her, why did you keep going? I was genuinely curious, what made you keep going? Like, she went through so much with it and i just wanted to hear from her like why she had why she had felt so compelled to keep going and hearing her describe her reasons for wanting to be a mom really helped me kind of make peace and make sense of my reasons for not being a mom and just acknowledge that oh what's right for her is right for her and what's right for me is right for me and that's okay because we're individuals you know we have different needs and different experiences and different backgrounds and And that's okay. And so, yeah, I think that when we have conversations like that, we're able to kind of pass our own thoughts and feelings from all of the stuff that's being projected into us from the culture at large, from the wider culture in terms of movies and books and representations of women and motherhood, but also from the family, from our family culture, from our work culture. You know, I also met women who work for companies where their colleagues are being offered funding to freeze their eggs. And we're feeling sort of like, oh, I should probably do that because I'm missing out otherwise. Like where's the the benefit for me? Like where's the company benefit for me? But then at the same time, sort of not necessarily really want knowing if they want to do it or not, but it's just this kind of like, Oh, this is the thing we just do now you know and never mind that it's a very expensive and physically taxing process to go through I don't know I just think there's so there is so much noise in the culture about what it means to be a mother and the centrality of that role in women's lives that I think the more openly we can talk about our true feelings about becoming a mother our fears about it what excites us about it the more we can actually kind of really come to our own truths, like separate our own truths out from what we're being told by the culture at large. So yeah, I really hope that people will read this book with their friends, whether they're reading it with other friends who are unsure about whether they want to have kids, whether they're reading it with friends who are moms, whether they're reading it maybe if they're feeling really brave with their mom. Uh Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whether they're reading it with their partner and actually, yeah, having those conversations about what comes up. Because I also, at the end of the book, I'm like, you know, you might you might have read this book and have realized that this is something you really want for your life and that knowing everything that you know this is something that feels really important to you and that this is your signal then and your permission to just to go for that and to, perhaps if you're if you're older maybe it is about adoption maybe it is about finding another way to work with or interact with children in your life you know maybe that's something that is really important for you and reading the book will help you Uncover that as well, you know? Well,
3: and I really appreciated that at the end too, because, you know, as someone who is a mother, uh, the thing that was most important to me in this book is how you address how we are all expected to revel in being a mother and the, you know, there are moments that I have where I daydream about what my life would be like if I didn't have kids, what my career would be like, what would my relationship with my husband be like, what would my, my friendships be like, I'd have more time to dedicate to all of that. And I have to be honest, like even just saying this on the mic feels taboo, you know, and this episode as a whole feels controversial and feels like, Oh, is this something we, we should talk about? But we should talk about it because those feelings are real. And that's not to say that I don't have the most amazing feelings with my kids too. They are the, for me, the single most special thing I've ever done in my life. But I still have moments where I'm like, what would it be, be like if they weren't here? And it's nice to be able to say that and to not, um, you know, saying it to you knowing full well that it's accepted that the opinion is accepted and knowing that I'm not the only one that feels that way too that there are other women out there who feel the same way and you know you talk a lot about having women who are mothers who then some actually do regret having kids and I can't imagine what that would be like I have a a dear friend who I was talking to yesterday about this topic exactly and she has made the decision just like you to not have kids and she said I would rather regret not having kids, then regret bringing kids into the world. And so that was what made the decision for her. And, you know, we are all on different ends of that spectrum to to make that decision. But she that was what solidified it for her.
4: Yeah, I can absolutely relate to that. And again, it's weighing up like, what's my personality? What are my life circumstances? What's my family background like? how is all of that going to influence and impact the way I feel about becoming a mother myself? And I think it's incredibly honest with you. Thank you for sharing it here that you sometimes have those thoughts and those kind of fantasies about what my carefree child free life be like. I can, I can also guarantee that there'll be other things that take your time and stress you out. And even if you don't have children, but I think, I mean, honestly, and what an, what a, what a privilege again, to be able to fantasize about that because for our foremothers, there was no other path. Like if you didn't have a child, you didn't really have a purpose. You, would, you talked about there not being terminology for women who don't have kids. Well, spinster, old maid. Barren, like pretty derogatory, which <laughs> you know, terminology for these women who were often seen as kind of surplus to requirements. You know, of course there have always been outliers and there have always been incredible women throughout history who've kind of forged and pursued alternative paths for themselves. But like I said, it's only very recently that a majority, uh, even even and even now there are so many women globally who do not have that choice. And even now in the United States, so many women who do not have that choice because of lack of access to proper birth control, right? And and abortion. And so, um, yeah, I just think that it would be unusual as a woman having grown up with the message, you can do whatever you want with your life. You can be whoever you want to be. Such an empowering message. And at the same time, like, of course, you're going to question then like, God, what else could I have done with my life? What could I be doing with my time? Well, because there's always amazing options for me now, which
3: women haven't had before, you know, you brought up history. So just for uh, a second, I want to go back to that because you speak about the Salem Witch Trials. Will you just go there for a minute with us and how most of the women who were declared witches were actually just single and did not have children? And they and really it's because society feared the, I mean, yes, I don't know. I don't know. There's no other term, but spinster, which is like, I don't even want to say that word. It's It's horrible. horrible It just sounds
4: spiky and mean and like just nasty. It's a nasty, like nasty woman. It reminds me of nasty woman, right? (laughs) Yeah. So the, the piece I included around the kind of going back into really the roots of where was this kind of, where was this cultural and social ideal of this kind of perfect selfless mother? Inculcated, like where does that come from? There's a fantastic book called Caliban and the Witch by an amazing feminist scholar called Silvia Federici. And she makes the case that the witch trials, and not just in Salem, but throughout Europe, which went on honestly for centuries during the transition from feudalism, when people really lived off the land and there was much more equality much more equality amongst people, and capitalism, where you had now people came in as land owners and employers and people now had to work in order to earn their keep. During that transition, women were essentially positioned as the mechanics or the machines almost of reproduction. What was needed for the capitalist system was a constant churn of new workers to work for the new owning class, right? And so women were sort of placed in this role of like producing and then caring for, nurturing, feeding, cleaning, cooking for the, the the working class, basically the working classes. And so any woman who was not going along with the program. And these were women who had different religious beliefs, women who had learned how to work with the cycles of nature and with herbs and things to be able to control their reproductive cycles, women who had just never been married for whatever reason, women who chose to live alone or live a different life. These people were branded, or I'll also include queer people and non-binary people who just didn't fit with this newly kind of cemented sort of heteropatriarchal ideal normal, right? Anyone who was kind of outside of that would be branded a witch and killed, murdered. I mean, it was a genocide. And so, yes, this is, you know, the the roots of this go really, really deep. And I think this is one of the reasons it's such a taboo subject. Anywhere something feels really taboo to talk about, just suggests that there are really deep roots of pain, abuse, oppression, trauma that hasn't been fully processed and acknowledged, you know? And so, yeah, I feel as women being born at this stage in history, we're in an incredibly privileged position, privilege that has been won through centuries, generations of like feminist fight to be able to actually walk a different path and not be persecuted for it. Although sometimes we are, like, depending what kind of a cultural community you're, you're, you're living in, you may well be persecuted for not having a child or for expressing that you want to do something else with your body or your life. And it goes back really, really far, right to the roots of our sort of current civilization.
3: Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.
0: Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.
5: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.
3: And we're back. And going off of that, what you talk about in the book is how you're like, here are the things we need. Let's, let's discuss the things that we need. We need, one, for there to be zero pressure for anyone to become a parent, whether they are unable to perform the role, whether they don't want to perform the role, whatever it is. You talk about what it would be like if... More resources were put into women in general. If our energy and resources were put into business and politics and arts, and wouldn't there be more women in office and more? And yes, we are going there, but I want this to be a huge part of the conversation that, you know, not everyone has to have kids. And if you're someone who wants to push the needle elsewhere and, you know, go for it, just do it and try not to let society get in the way. And, you know, having a serious conversation as well about our planet and how much bringing, why don't we take care of mother earth, take care of our planet here before we continue to bring on more people who are going to, I mean, what's the world going to be like for the kids we're trying so hard to, you know, or I am trying so hard to raise right now. And it's terrifying to think of that. So there's so many elements to this. It's so layered. There are so many. I
4: don't. I think I was quite naive when I, when I kind of decided to write on this subject. I was slightly naive as to like how deep it goes and how wide ranging it is. But really, it kind of like touches on every aspect of our lives and very much so. This kind of global conversation that younger generations, in particular, like Gen Zs, are really like. Well, wait. If 2050 is the cutoff point for climate change, and still politicians are refusing to do make any kind of like serious policy changes when it comes to carbon emissions, then what, my kid's going to be like 20 by the time we're starting to have major catastrophic kind of like environmental events. Like I'm not going to do that. You know, this is huge and people don't take it seriously. If you think about the age of the politicians here in office, like we've had two of the old, like two of the oldest presidents in US history in the past, like four, eight years or whatever. And so it's kind of like, I think it's very hard for people at that, End of life to really take seriously the concerns of 20 year olds now in terms of procreation, right? But yeah, I mean, of course, again, there have always been women who have been mothers and also had an incredible impact in terms of business, culture, the arts, politics. And there's still so much in the minority. Like we still have so few female leaders making real change in the world. And I just can't help but think that the more women without kids, we will have more women leaders in positions of power simply because unless you're incredibly wealthy, basically, or have other major resources to hand, it's just really, really hard to be a mother and to have that kind of a public facing career. I do think it's very interesting that three of the most sort of progressive figures, female figures in US politics currently are all women without kids. So Kamala Harris is not a biological mother. Stacey Abrams, no children. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, no children. Even asking the question, is it ethical to bring a child into the world? And I ask in the book, would these women, particularly all of them coming from backgrounds that have traditionally been marginalized as well, would these women have had the opportunity to rise to those positions of power had they also been raising children? Of course, we'll never know. <laughs> but at the same time, I do think there's huge, a huge benefit. And so what's the real benefit of having more women in office? Well, this kind of gets into sort of gender politics and gender ideals, I suppose. But there's research. And I speak to a social scientist called Rianne Eisler, who speaks to this. There is research that the more women you have in positions of power the less power is associated with very masculine traits. What we see is masculine traits of dominance and competition. And we see power as being equally associated with interdependence and caring and community. And so the more women we have in those kinds of position, the less met the powerful men feel like threatened by the idea of being vulnerable or threatened by the idea of collaboration. And this is proven out in in countries where there are more female leaders, basically. You just see more kind of community caregiving sort of policies being put in place. And so, yeah, I do think that there are potential benefits politically in terms of business for having more women leaders in positions of power. Which is not to say that that's going to be a given, right? Because we're still operating in a very dominance-based capitalist, survival of the fittest, competitive economy. And lots of women are really groomed to embody those masculine traits too, right? So the real work is to, yeah, to stop privileging masculinity in all of its forms as expressed by anybody of any gender expression, right? Right. And actually to really start to revalue what we see as traditionally feminine traits of caring, empathy, interdependence, collaboration, etc.
3: I could, I could hear you talk about it and just have this conversation. It's fascinating. <laughs> this is what I mean when I was like, oh, this is kind of a big topic. <laughs> no, it's a huge topic. That's why I've been so excited to have you on all, all morning. So Nancy Pelosi has five kids. I'm just going to throw it out there. You put it in the book and I'm like, yeah, that's right. I didn't know that either. It's fascinating. And you talk about this this game. You start the book off talking about this game. You You call it your Wikipedia game. Can you tell our listeners that little story? It's so relatable <laughs> and so cute. <laughs> Oh my God. So I didn't even realize I was doing
4: this. I've been doing this for years until I actually kind of wrote it down. But yeah, I called the game, does she have kids? So any woman that I'm like, I'm like, wow, she's so impressive. Look at all the things she's doing with her life. And she's so cool and badass. I'll sort of look her up on Wikipedia. And the first thing I'll look for is does she have kids? And typically there's at least one, usually two, Nancy Pelosi, five kids, And interesting, I just watched the the Nancy Pelosi documentary. She, of course, she's from a different generation. She had her kids in her early twenties. So by the time she was in her middle thirties, early forties, she was sort of able to then really step fully into her political career. This is not how we do things right now these days. You know, we've been very much encouraged to do the career stuff first and then have kids. And this is why many women find themselves late thirties, early forties going, wait, wait, shit, I need to, I want to do that thing too. And that's, really incredibly sad for a lot of people, you know? And I'm not saying that everybody should have kids in their twenties because the fact is that you probably weren't financially ready in your twenties, you know, or you, you hadn't met the right person in your twenties because that's the kind of world we live in now too, you know? Yeah. There have always been, like I said, women who've had a, an amazing impact in the world and also had kids. <laughs> I think part of my healing around that has been like, I just don't have the capacity. I'm a very sensitive person. I need so like ridiculous amounts of time alone and in quiet. I can't really focus on more than one thing at once. And just kind of accepting these things about myself. Like if I had a child, I'm pretty convinced it would take up all of my time and attention. And that's just who I am, because I'm a very kind of all or nothing person, actually, you know, (laughs) and then couple that with the fact that I currently live 3000 miles away from my family. Neither of my parents are particularly, particularly have the capacity to kind of like come on board and would have had the capacity to come on board and kind of help with child rearing. And then the other piece, which is another big part of the book is that I just didn't really come from a family where family felt that important, you know? my parents were kind of estranged from their parents. Neither of them really had a relationship with their siblings. So I wasn't really connected to my grandparents or my aunts and cousins and things. And so family has just never really been at the center of my world, like even from when I was a child, you know? So it kind of made sense to me that when people would say, when are you going to start a family? I was like, well, my family is me and my husband. That's it. My family's me and my cat. Mm -hmm.
3: (laughs) Yes, how beautiful is that? To know, to know that, and to have accept yourself and love yourself, and know that that's your journey, and that's what you're going to do, and it's and that's okay. Exactly.
4: I mean, this is really again. This also is where this work dovetails with my work with sober curious. Like we live in what I call a dominant drinking culture. So as soon as you decide that I'm not sure I want to engage with that anymore, or drinking just doesn't feel good to me, you can sort of immediately put yourself in the place of or the position of outsider. And it takes a lot of courage to really walk the path that is true to you and to be like, it's okay. This doesn't look quote unquote normal because it's different from what everyone else is doing, but it's equally valid. And it's absolutely right for me, you know, and it might mean that I'm not having all of those kinds of experiences that society has told me are what are going to make life meaningful and bring me happiness and make me popular and cool. (laughs) but that's okay. Like me living my life on my terms is okay. Even if it looks very different from
3: the life that society would kind of like set out for me. You know, one thing I love about your book. And also, I want to mention that you have a podcast as well by the same title, Women Without Kids, these beautiful interviews with different individuals who have helped you kind of cultivate your book, right? And and you found you were having these incredible conversations, and you might as well just get them on tape as well. And so, you know, it's this is just the tip of the iceberg of this. It's so hard to fit in one episode of a podcast everything that you have put into this book. And as a woman with kids, to read the book, Women Without Kids was very powerful. And I'm sure for women without kids, it's very powerful too. So this book truly is for everyone. And I want to thank you for your bravery, for your research, for discussing something that is still widely considered taboo for pushing the conversation forward and being a part of the change in all of it because it's it's a huge task to take on and you did it and you did it so well and I know it's only the beginning and I'm just so grateful that you came on to have this discussion today and I really recommend for our listeners to go get the book it's available in March right wherever books are sold and it truly is something that uh changed my thoughts on our society and, and and being a mother too and and I love being a mom I love it I think it's a huge part of who I am it did it it allowed me to feel things I didn't feel like I was able to feel so I'm really grateful for that and I think each person reading this will get something different from it well
4: it's really gratifying to hear you say that because as much as I was saying defining my audience is well anybody who identifies as a woman without kids and it was actually my editor at my publisher she has a child and she said but you know I'm I'm a mom I want to read this book. Can it be relevant to me too? And so I do in the, in the intro I talk about this book is also for the mothers who sometimes in the deepest dark of night, when they're quiet in the scooped out quiet of the 3am feed, who are wondering, wait, where the fuck has my life gone? What would it be like if I didn't have kids? And I guess that's you. So, (laughs) thank you you're also
3: catching me like i have a six-month-old baby and he was he was preemie he came two months early so we have been in the the newborn stage which i think is the hardest for a very long time and so it has been hard and sometimes we think oh my gosh what did we do but then you know we i wake up and all i need is this little smile and that's enough for me and so i know where i am on that spectrum but you know you're right there's i think it's to anyone to every every mom and I, I say this with all my friends if if every if anyone says it's easy I don't think they're being honest because it's not you know and and loving something is different than finding it easy you know and so yeah or even liking, or even liking it yes so I'm just grateful that you're giving us as women as a whole just permission to have the other side of this conversation because we haven't really been able to, yeah,
4: and you said a really important thing, which is like it allowed me to feel things I didn't think I was allowed to feel, and there's a sociologist Orna Donat, who wrote that book, "Regretting Motherhood," which is a study that I referenced throughout, and she talks about how we have these very, very rigid cultural feeling rules about motherhood, as we do about all sorts of other subjects too, but the the stronger and the more kind of like rigid the feeling rules the more of an indicator it is that there's actually kind of like stuff there for us to look at, you know? So yeah, you're right. I recorded all the research interviews I did for the book, which are with, you know, social scientists and sociologists and parenting experts and psychiatrists and all sorts of interesting individuals. I knew they were going to be really juicy. So I recorded them all as a podcast series, which is being aired now. It's called Women Without Kids. And yeah, the book is out March 28th in the US. So I don't know when this will be aired, but if you pre-order it, you can also get a reading group guide, which I've put together to help people have some of those conversations that I kind of mentioned earlier. Like if you're reading it with a friend or you're reading it with a book club, for example, there's a discussion guide to kind of help get you and get you going on some of those deeper conversations. I'm
3: so happy to hear you said you did that because I had wished I was reading it with a book club. I had wished and I knew we were going to have this conversation, but throughout it would have just been so nice to have done it with other people. So highly recommend. Because it brings up so much, right? It is such a
4: like I know that because that's how I felt when I was reading when I was writing it. I was writing it and I write something I'd be like, oh wait, what? I'm going to need to research this now. I need to know what's going on here. I need to know what other women have experienced in this area. And it just like, it was incredibly challenging to write for that very reason, because I really didn't want to, I knew I had to really go big or go home. I was like, I'm either going all in with this or I might as well not bother because this is too important of a topic to half us you
3: well thank you for going there and I really mean that genuinely I'm so happy this book exists for so many women out there and I'm so grateful and thank you for coming on today to share with us you guys Ruby Warrington uh, her podcast is available now wherever you listen to podcasts so make sure you jump in on that and then you could pre-order her book available March 28th in the U.S. and middle of April in the UK Uh, highly recommend Ruby thank you so much for being here today thanks again for having me I was nervous to have this conversation with Ruby because it is kind of controversial. Her her thought process and her everything she wrote about made so much sense to me. But as someone with kids, it just brought up a lot, a lot of emotion, a lot of de- a lot of life decisions I've made, and made me think about my role in society. I mean, it truly is a phenomenal book for those who have kids, those who don't. It's just an interesting mentality. And Ruby, I'm so grateful you came on today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I hope it made you think like it made me think. We have another great one coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions. Produced by Melissa D. Mons. Edited by Diane King. Music by Joe King. And advertising partnership with Acast.